everyone and welcome back to Gear Z, the sim racing podcast i'm host Ving, and today i will bring you mark the owner and ceo from mva studio in uk mva studio probably are very famous already for their mods on the logitech but keep an eye because the series 2 wheel is coming and will change a lot of things series 2 is compatible with logitech fanatec Thrustmaster, monza and four more so keep an eye on what they're doing and of course, let's jump with our guest. We have here Mark, the owner of MVH Studio, based in UK. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, Mark, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you involved in create sim racing wheels and all the sim racing uh, hardware? Yeah, so... Um... I've been into computers since early childhood, and I was playing on the Commodore 64 Need for Speed to give you an idea how far back it goes. And I remember when Logitech brought out the first force feedback wheel, it was a red rimmed wheel, I think it was, with pedals. Of course I bought that, and uh, it, it absolutely um, put you in the seat, which if you look at it back now is laughable compared to where we are now, right? But that's yeah. definitely there from the beginning. And I've, um, I have a career of engineering, so it's something I've been doing professionally for a long time. Uh, and it was a couple of years before, well, just about a year or so, half a year before the outbreak, no, a year before the outbreak of the COVID pandemic, um, I had finished a project, an engineering project for a defense contractor, and um, I had some time off. And so I was playing my old favorite, Gran Turismo. And uh, it, that was Gran Turismo Sport back in those days. And I think it just came out. It wasn't, it, it was on the market just maybe a year before COVID. I don't remember. And um, uh, the place I was living in and working in at that time or finished working was Greece on an island in Greece called Lefkada. And uh, I had some free time. So I played. And of course, the thing you would get to uh, play on your PlayStation was a Logitech wheel. It wasn't by choice or that was what I could get my hands on back there. And, and uh, so I got a G29 and I was racing with it and enjoyed it very much. And I played Gran Turismo on the original PlayStation as well. So it, again, this is all stuff that I've always been doing. But I realized during that time that, um, you know, that wheel, it's, it's, it's a great, it, you know, for what it is and for what you pay for great bang for your buck it's available everywhere it's very hard to break i mean it's it's durable logitech has a very good warranty uh, but it's not perfect by any means and the no. first thing that <laughs> i personally didn't like was that it, they changed it on the 923 but on the 29 where you put your thumbs into the wheel the stitching there is very rough and over time, because I like to have my thumb inside on that middle spot, and over time, that area here around the thumb got really, really red and irritated. And I was looking at it, and I thought, well, it is very durable, very hard, but it's too hard. And the stitching felt just too rough. And that's when kind of the idea spawned, look, I can do a better wheel than that. And um, as I said, my background is engineering, prototyping various stuff uh, for projects, nothing new. I had 3D printers at home anyway. Um, so this is all, I work with CNC machines in, in my professional life. So then as a hobby project, I just designed an open wheel. And because I wasn't very good back in those days, um, doing any kind of uh, ergonomic shaping, which is very different. When you work in CAD, as an engineer, you work off sketches and, you know, it's, a, it's not an... Um, it's not a, what do you call it, a biological shape, right? It's not a round shape. You have all very geometric shapes. So it's a very different way of working. So in the beginning, I didn't know how to make really nice grips in CAD. And so I went to Thingiverse like everyone else. I had a look around and I found someone who actually shaped open shaped grips 
for something completely different. And uh, I contacted the guy. This is, you know, many years ago. And I contacted him directly and said, hey, is it okay if I use your grips for my own projects? And he said, yeah, absolutely fine. Go ahead. I'm happy. He was not, that wasn't his job or anything. He did it like most people on Thingiverse. He would design something and put it up there. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I made the Open GT wheel, the, the first MBH wheel. And I put that on, I think I posted it on Reddit or on some racing groups. And people were flipping out. They're like, oh, my God, you know, you can do this. And um, I said, oh, yeah. And I, I told everyone, you, you know, you need a 3D printer. Here's the files. And then people kept asking me, hey, can you make this for me? And that was really it. I said, okay, I'll make one, two. And before you knew it, I saw that there was a massive demand because just before COVID, that at least was my impression, sim racing started to take off even more than before. And I think to a great degree, this is yeah. dependent on Gran Turismo Sport becoming such a massive hit. Right? It went because of the multiplayer element in it, right? And uh, yeah, I said at the same time, Assetto Corsa, for example, hasn't died. You know, it's still around. How old is Assetto Corsa now? And that says a lot. And if you think Assetto about Corsa, the probably say old... 10, yeah, 10 years, I would say, already. Yeah. And then it's still alive. And there's, if you put reshade on it and all the other plugins, it looks like a brand new game. It's photorealistic at this point. So yeah. um, it was just the right time for this kind of a thing. And when I started looking online a bit, I wasn't the only one who came up with ideas to mod the Logitech wheelbase. Because if you look at the Logitech G27, I think, and then before that was a GT Force, they're all basically the exact same thing. And you you have them spread everywhere in every corner of the planet because Logitech has such a big reach. And so I thought, well, if I make this, it, this is something people will have done before me. And of course, other people have taken the wheel off. They put on a big wheel because they wanted to do drifting, um, you know, paddle extensions because it's a bigger rim wheel and so on. All of these things came with drawbacks. And this is something I personally was always very keen on not doing. So for example, putting a big, heavy aftermarket wheel on a Logitech wheelbase that has 2.3 Newton meters of torque, that's not gonna work. There's hardly any power in the wheel. What's more, because it's so heavy and this is, you're overloading that uh, plastic bearing where the actual main, uh, mm -hmm. the plastic housing for the bearing is, it cracks. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you cannot go beyond the physical limitation of it because it was never designed for that. But certain things in there are really good considering what people have done with it. The pedals, if you look at the pedals, for example, they're really well designed. Yes, potentiometers are shit. We all, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah. it's okay. okay. I, I had one and uh, I think the, where Logitech lost and still losing a little bit is on the pedals. Because, like yeah, you say, on, tar on any any Logitech product is if you compare the on the time, I compare with the Nokia. I mean, there's, there's... Yeah, lines breaking up. Okay, I got you. I'll say. So I'll, anyway, I'll, 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 I'll say that I compare the, um, the I compare the Logitech uh, 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 the outside the reboosters as a tank. And I compare it to the Nokia 3310. If you remember Nokia 3310, exactly. you can throw away ever, ever. You can make whatever you want. And it's so well designed, uh, robustic. And I think the Logitech is the same thing. You have people that have for yeah. eight, nine years and they still, they're still doing. The pedals, no. The pedals is where I think they, like you say, is where they lose. I think the pedals are, like you say, they are very well designed. You can do a lot of things, but they are quite weak. Yeah. Well, the base, we all know that if, if you did any sim racing, you know that positional braking is not easy to learn. It's very difficult. And if there's no feedback on it, it's even more difficult. By, by positional, I mean that instead of feeling a brake pressure and saying, this is how much pressure I apply to get just to the point of locking up or enabling ABS, this versus actually measuring the distance. Because we humans have... Uh, it's very easy with your closed eyes to apply pressure on with your foot roughly the same time, uh, same amount for 10 times in a row versus trying to put your foot in the same position 
roughly in the same position 10 times in a row. You will find it extremely difficult, whereas applying pressure is something that is very intuitive for us. So that's the reason why everyone writes, uh, uses load cells, because a load cell measures the strength, the pressure with which you're pressing the pedal, not the travel. And that's also the biggest flaw of potentiometers or brake pedals based on potentiometers. A throttle, a clutch, none of that matters. All that can work on potentiometer, fine, but the brake pedal, that's where you win and lose races. Because at the end of the day, if you can't trail brake, you're losing time going into the turn and going out of the turn. And that's where a race is won. It's not in a straight line, especially in sim racing. So those things needed improving. And that was the first thing I did. I've started looking at that after doing the steering wheel. And um, there was a guy on, on the internet, on YouTube, this is decades ago, who on his kitchen table was uh, etching the PCB for an amplifier uh, in order to use a load cell on a Logitech pedal. And um, he was a DIYer, mm -hmm. but also an engineer, did this as a side thing and put it on YouTube. And I was looking at it going, oh yeah, of course. I mean, I understand what he's doing here. Um, we should we should try and make this ourselves. You know, when you etching a PCB is not something you can do like hundreds of units a, a week. You have to do it by hand. It's quite difficult. And so I contacted him. And you know, fast forward, he now works together with me. MBH Studios in Budapest, that's our second studio, is run by him and Martin uh, and, and Dexter. Those are my two main engineers there. And um, he basically developed a load cell mod. Uh, I just came up with, okay, we need to um, package it in such a way that it can be done quite easily, that it doesn't require any soldering, that it can be reversed in terms of warranty claims, issues like that, because uh, all of our products are meant to be um, mods that you can immediately, if you want, take off again and reverse to the exact original state. So let's say you want to sell it on to someone or you have a warranty claim with Logitech, well, you know, you haven't drilled a hole, you haven't soldered anything, you can claim the warranty, technically. I mean, legally, then that's probably a loophole because um, Logitech will say, well, if you opened the device, then a warranty would be void. But in order for that to uh, take effect, they would have to be able to prove that you opened the device. And if you haven't made any irreversible changes on it, that's kind of, you know, up there. But that was the secondary goal. The primary goal was to enable mods for everyone. I saw from the get-go when I started sim racing that the one thing you can see clearly in sim racing is there is a huge discrepancy. And keep in mind, this was before COVID, between uh, proper, not proper, strong force feedback uh, wheels and I'm talking about the motors, the wheelbases, like uh, Simucube, uh, like uh, uh, Fanatex, all of those big ones. And then entry level, like Thrustmaster, Logitech, and so on. This was before Logitech brought out the DD Pro and all that. So the delta, the price delta, mm -hmm. is massive, which always indicates, and as you can tell, I have a business background here as well, if there is a, a, a big delta between top end and low end, well, there's a lot of space for something in between. And this is where I then started to see an opportunity. And that's how Martin, uh, my Hungarian engineer, who developed the load cell on his kitchen table, uh, we then came together and said, okay, let's do this professionally. And then the load cell happened. And then after that, we worked on the telemetry screen and so on. And the telemetry, for example, is also uh, working together with a genius uh, programmer uh, called Dexter. He's also in the Hungarian department this guy, I throw anything at him and he goes, let me think about it. A couple of days later, it works. So one of the ideas that I had when we were looking beyond what we had already was how can we develop a screen, a telemetry screen that works on every platform everywhere. And uh, it wasn't just a screen that you plug into the HDMI port of your PC because everyone can do that. That wasn't, that wasn't a challenge by any means. And I was already doing a lot of robotics and work with ESP32 chipsets, which are Wi-Fi chipsets, which you can program uh, and use Arduino code in the background and whatnot. So 
then I came down to uh, my boys in Hungary and we said, look, I'd like to develop something that as a backend, we develop our own electronics and PCB and software, has an ESP32, uses the UDP stream, telemetry stream from all the games to connect and get the telemetry data and then displays it. And because most games now have a UDP out, even the console games have UDP out, this will be cross-compatible mm -hmm. on Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and is standalone. Because the, before we came out with this, there wasn't there was a solution to do this. You use a PC in the loop. So you use a regular HDMI out display, you know, one of those Volcor LCDs or anything that runs through SimHub, but then you have to have a PC that runs SimHub, and that PC then takes the UDP from your console. But who in his right mind is going to turn on the console, turn on the PC, turn on the telemetry, and then go racing in, in Gran Turismo? You know? It's like nobody. So I wanted a plug-and-make-it-work and system. So it just works. That's, that was the plan. And so this is how we developed these things. And when we saw that there was a market for this, again, because cost is also an issue, telemetry screens are usually very expensive, and they're PC only. And we thought, well, you know, we can do this cheaper. And uh, we came yeah, up the, with... The only one that I know that is that exists uh, and is not a full telemetry is from uh, Trustmasters. And it's just a display, a LED display. Yeah, it's a LED yeah. display where you have the gears and the speed and the RPMs. That's it. And I think yeah. the price is around 80, 80 pounds or 70 pounds, while yours yeah. is for 105 pounds. You have one, yeah. and uh, from what I I read, is on the carbon fiber. So the yeah, we you have, have a, a TK twill carbon fiber plate included. Yeah, it's compatible with a lot of games. So the games compatible list is is huge. You can uh, use plugins from SimHub, uh, so <laughs> it's a win. <laughs> and in terms yeah. of the mount, how how you have you have different mounts for every type of wheel or you have to mount it on your sim rig. So at the moment we've, because it's, it still needs power, right? So we ship it with a coiled okay. USB cable, USB cable, which you can plug into any hub or anything or at the back of your, or your, if you're not lose, using a Logitech, you can, wherever you get a USB five volt power outlet or even a power bank. Some people just plug it into, you know, battery power banks. Um, except for that um, cable, it's, it's wireless, right? But because of that cable, okay. putting it onto the actual wheel, well, it depends. If you're doing an F1 race, you don't do more than a 90 degree turn, then it, it's not a big issue. But if you're a drifter or a rally racer, you're not going to do that because then the cable ends up winding up. And most wheels like the Logitech or uh, Thrustmaster do two and a half turns each way. So you, you end up having you know the cable going around. This is not such a big issue for most people, but we decided that we didn't want to put a mount onto the Logitech wheels themselves, but instead on the motor base because of better visibility. And uh, okay. while the practicality is, eh, it's all right if it's on the wheel, but because most people sit on their desk, there's a, not everyone has a rig. I mean, yes, um, you do, I do, you know, but, um, but most people sit on their desk or on a, something similar to a play seat along those lines. And then if you, if you sit not too low, but rather a higher up, because it's very rare that you have people who actually have the F1 seat position, right? Where your feet are up mm -hmm. and your butt is lower. Um, so most people sit more like a GT race car. And in that position, you actually have the wheel rim here, not here, right? And that's why we decided, well, if the rim is here, Having display down here makes zero sense. You won't be looking at it much. So instead, it would be better to have it just under your line of vision. And so we decided to put mounts onto the motor mounts. So every, okay. whether it's a Fanatec DDCSL or a Thrustmaster or Logitech wheelbase, or even we also have one for the Logitech DD Pro, it's all mounted on the motor. Yeah, yeah. I can see the, the list that you have. You go from the Logitech G29. Uh, 923, 920, uh, after the Pro, Fanatec DDE, SL, Fanatec P2, SimCube, SimMagic, Moza, and Trustmaster. So you are almost on all, all of them. But let me jump a little yeah. bit back to the load cell. When we were speaking about sure. the load cell, 
the low cell is only compatible with the Logitech uh, uh, 920 and the 923, I presume. Is yeah. any, yeah. you're going to start working with a new, uh, you think your load cell is better than the Logitech load cell himself on the DD Pro? You know, load cells are load cells. It's not, of course, so in short, the most important thing for a load cell is uh, its resolution, right? How, how fine is its measuring point? Once you take, and we use a 50 kilogram load cell. So in the beginning, when load cells came out, it was all like everywhere else. When they don't know what else to latch onto in order to compare technologies, you go, so what's the maximum weight it can take? Or how fast is your car? You know, what's the acceleration? Yes, but is that really relevant? No, it's not relevant. What's relevant is how does it actually perform, right? So is is a uh, 120 kilogram, 150 kilogram load cell better than a 50 kilogram load cell? Well, only if the resolution is higher, as in it can define even clearer how much pressure you apply mm -hmm. on it, right? Everything else doesn't matter because it comes down to how you translate the pressure onto the load cell. So if you look at our load cell system, we have a, uh, it looks like a triangular piece that by pressing down creates at an angle, the actual pressure onto the load cell. So you're not pressing the load cell itself, it's translated onto a, um, you could call it a very simplified lever system. And because of that, mm -hmm. the resolution actually is not, directly one-to-one -one translated by how much you press down, right? So you can define with a 50 kilogram load cell the same amount of traveling distance and resolution as you can do with a 120 kilogram load cell. That doesn't really matter. So these things are what you're looking at. Um, then of course, when you say load cell, you also have to think about the feel for the pedal. So how many springs, dampers, and combinations of those are in there because some people will want to have a lot of travel. Some people want very little travel. So in order to make that work, you need to be able to adjust all of the zones, right? You need to adjust when does the load cell pick up? When does the load cell end? And then you need to be able to tune this to every game as well, which is why our load cell has adjustment points, right? And so you don't have any dead zones and you can adjust it to like, my engineer, Martin, likes to say for you, if you want to be stepping on a brick or a broomstick, we can do that. <laughs> there is no okay. travel. You can do it. So it's up to you how you adjust it. Is it any better than others? Well, first of all, what we make is a mod just for the Logitech pedal. Um, why we made this for the Logitech pedal is, what, as we discussed before, the base bones of the pedal, the metal stuff, the extruded metals, the bearings, all of that is actually quite good, pretty decent. A lot of people keep using them. Then the only thing that is, is bad and gets replaced are the potentiometers. So if you take that bad thing out of the equation, you've got actually a pretty decent pedal set. And if you want to mount it upside down, you can mount them upside down. A lot of people take them completely out of the housing. And so what, what do we all start off with? We start off with a Logitech pedal set, and then we upgrade to a force feedback motor like the Fanatec DDCSL or SimuQ. And the idea was, hey, why not take the stuff that's good from the entry level, tune it to a point where you go, this is pretty good now, it's my mid to high end, and combine it with the next upgrade you will make, which nearly everyone will go for a direct drive wheel. And then you have a relatively cheap entry point. So you can take your Logitech pedals with our load cell mod, and you plug those into Logitech, in fact, sells one of these little adapter boxes now, which allows you to uh, combine uh, all kinds of Logitech gear, like the, the shifter and the DD Pro and the pedals, and you can combine that and make it work. And so uh, since our load cell doesn't need an extra power supply, it's not in any way uh, tied to a G29, 923, you can plug that into your PC with that adapter, or an adapter that we will be bringing out very soon. <laughs> and you can make it run on any platform with anything. That's why we decided to make it. Is it any better? I don't know. I mean, does it compare with the Huskinfield? I don't know how to pronounce it. The, the standard SimRace pedals, right? I wouldn't say mm. you, 
they're comparable. They're two different worlds, right? At the same time, ours will run on consoles. There is no load cell that runs on PlayStation. There isn't any except, uh, for example, Gran Turismo. It, our load cell runs on Gran Turismo. Yeah. And why? Because our electronics, our little amplifier board inverts the signal. So most load cells produce a particular type of signal, which if you're on a PC, okay. you can tell, hey, now depressing is breaking, letting go is not breaking. You can change that. You can invert a pedal. You cannot invert pedals on Gran Turismo or on most console games. Those options aren't there. So we did that already. We basically designed okay. it for console first and then allowing you to modify it to make it run on PC. And the same reason why we have uh, adjustment potential meters on our amplifier, so that obviously you can't you can't change the dead zones or the travel in Gran Turismo, as an example, or Forza, or whatever, um, on on the console. So you need to be able to do it on our mod. That's why we have those adjustment points, and we have that all explained in detail on our videos. So there, that's the comparison. Is it better? I don't know. I, I think it's it's better value for money. Okay, <laughs> no, that, that's that's that, I agree because the price is at me only get wrong, don't get it wrong. It's eighty nine, eighty nine pounds. I think so. Let me just open, reopen yeah. again. The low sell here page. It's uh, yeah, eighty nine, ninety ninety pounds from that price is is more than acceptable. But I want to talk about your new baby. That is the Bash Pro Active H Shifter. What you can talk to me about this one because I'm really, really keen to know about it. So this is I cannot take any credit for this. This is uh, a life's work of Martin uh, Bakos. He's okay. uh, my engineer in in Hungary, and uh, I've when he when we met, he was telling me about it. This is something he's been working on uh, years. Uh, he's a, a car enthusiast more than I am, and um, he's got his own uh, BMW workshop. Uh, he's he's crazy in that regard, and so he always wanted to create that perfect stage pattern shifter because nobody really brought anything usable. And also, a lot of these developments, when you come to make something, it's it's because. If it is available, if there is something out there, it's usual, usually in the unaffordium price bracket, if you know what I mean. Uh, so you either go, well, I can't pay for this. It's impossible. I don't even know if it's any good. Maybe I'm paying crazy money and it's not that good anyway. Uh, I'm pretty smart enough to engineer my own thing and I know what I like in a device or in a product, so I'll do my own. And that's how he uh, went at it. And that's, that's why we also resonate a lot because uh, when we met first time, he didn't know me. I only knew what I saw uh, on YouTube and it was recommended to me through a friend. And we immediately hooked up because we both understood um, the fascination between in, in making something better out of nothing or taking something as a mm -hmm. concept and then building on it. And at the same time, doing it in such a way that you are also asking for a fair price for it, right? You don't overcharge um, and you don't overpromise. A very important thing for everything that you see on our site, all the product description, I'm always very neutral about what we write about our products. I don't say uh, without being 100% sure that I'm right, that this is the only so-and-so in the world that can do that. I don't come out shouting at everyone going, this is a game changer. And then I can't deliver DD CSLs exactly. for how many years? But anyway, that aside, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Um, he really worked hard on making this prototyped. I don't know how many versions through it. And uh, I think you should definitely have a chat with him directly at some point um, and, and see what he can tell you more about it. The idea behind it was to create a shifter that didn't only do all of the stuff that uh, it can do from learning in, uh, uh, behaviors for the car, for uh, changing it into the different modes from dog box to regular age pattern, um, having uh, the lockout with delays, you know, preloading the gate and all that stuff. 
he also wanted it to feel right. You know, there's a very, it's very easy to produce something that functionally does the trick, but then doesn't feel right. And one of the things that he, okay. uh, in the beginning, yeah, uh, he, he struggled with was to get that feel in the right way. For example, we all know when you, when you move the gear in neutral and you move it left and right, if it's just ding ding ding, ding jumping around in the middle or it makes a hollow noise, that's, that's horrible. You know, no real car sounds or feels like that. Uh, when you put it into gear, you don't want to hear a hollow plastic box going clock. Yeah, you, know, you you want to hear a really satisfying chink or a, or a, 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 a hollow feel a hollow feeling because as, as you have on just yes. master just master the they are they yeah, are they are cheap they are okay but they have a, a hollow feeling you don't have some you just know that you put the gear because the gear yeah. go inside of that uh, corner and it touch on the on the on the metal plastic and you know okay I put yeah, but you don't have place, any yeah. any engine feel yeah, exactly. Exactly. And let's face it, it's by no means do you need this shifter. It's not something you have. I'm not even going to try to convince anyone you need to buy this. No, this is something you have to only buy if you want to increase and en enhance realism. If you want to get as close as possible to the feeling of a real gearbox that is connected to the revs of your engine, that doesn't allow you to strip the gears and go, oh, whatever, fourth gear, bam, you know, whenever you feel like it, or, oh, I'm into first gear while your revs are at 6,000. You know, that kind of stuff takes you out of realism. And sim racing, for some people, is not about um, getting a number one podium, number two podium. For some people, and I'm one of those, I'm not a good racer, I'll admit it, I'm shit. <laughs> I, I, there's no way I can compare to a lot of guys out there, including my own engineers. But I enjoy the realism. I like to feel how it is to race in a car. And that, that, that immersion is what yeah. that's, it's the immersion. This is also why I am adamant about VR racing. I race in VR. I don't want to use triples. I don't want to use ultra wides. To me, it's about sitting in the car. I want to be immersed in it. And those little things add. I remember one of the first things that I put on my rig back in the days when I was building one was the wind simulator, which is the most stupid thing if you think about it. It's two PC fans that are blowing at you, which increase in RPM if you go faster and blow less when you go slower. But you wouldn't imagine how, if you haven't tried it, how much that immerses you. It just takes one of your senses and fools it into, I'm actually moving which is all it takes sometimes. And having a lockout on a shifter and making it feel right, that is really what the Bash Pro is about. And it does it very well. The problem with this shifter is we've, we've only just started producing it. So after we've done the testing for, with really hard testing, as in testing it to the point of breakage, if we can break it, we then decided, okay, let's start a okay. small batch and we did our first batch was, I think, 25 units, and that sold out like immediately. I, we had a lot, a lot of build-up demand because Martin was working on this for many years. That project was being followed by a lot of his fans and friends. So this was before we even met. So these people were just waiting for him to go, start releasing it, sell it, and call it a final. And so after a little bit of uh, input from me, not very much, I'm not taking the credit here, because I know Martin will see this. Um, we improved it and made it uh, shippable, and now uh, it went out to the customers. And well, we've had zero unhappy people. Everyone really thinks it's it's incredible. And also a lot of people who had um, the other uh, shifters in that price segment uh, as a comparison said, well, this is a game changer. It's completely different. It's not just about the feel, but the added uh, information you can get through our SimHub plugin uh, in order to create the lockouts, in order to learn the shifting behavior. None of that you know, is, has been on the market before. It's completely new. And uh, I, yeah, and there's a uh, race. I like it. I like, the, I like the design. Yeah, exactly. Yes, the, yeah, well, I, like the, I like the design. The design is, 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 is simple, but remember me the old uh, 
the the old gears, the old shifters, you know, on the on the old car. So yes. I don't know, give me a nostalgia vibe, and I I really yes, I absolutely. really like it. I really interesting and uh, and uh, try it because I think for the video that you guys show it uh, looks very fun. Looks that they have an active engine and everything behind it, so looks really really good. I will be very keen to try it. Well, yeah, it's it's beautiful. I'm going to have to ask you. We're working on the second batch now, so it, once we have enough, okay. we will then start pushing it. We literally had one unit only that we gave out for review, and Race Beyond Matter, one of the YouTubers, mm -hmm. had it. And uh, yeah, he was waxing lyrical about it. He was very happy. So that's all, that's all we had, and everything else sold. <laughs> so we have to, we're working on the second batch now. We're trying to do much more. But this is all very, this is not this, a, a product that can be done in, in a factory. So a lot of this is custom-made CNC cut steel, um, the assembly and the um, fine-tuning of it and then testing before we ship it out. We take that very seriously because it is a very high-margin product, a high-cost product, right? It's not cheap, but um, mm -hmm. it's also not cheap to manufacture. It's, it's very expensive compared to everything else you do. Uh, a lot of the shortcuts you can make in manufacturing, uh, you can do with you can do a lot with three D printing in this day and age. And I'm not just talking about PLA prints. You know, we use ABS printing on resins and SLA. Um, but certain things you need to make out of steel. Uh, you, there is just so much you can. There's only so much you can simulate with uh, a printed or partially printed enclosure when it comes to feel and resonance and sound. And that's why, for example, if you compare the Le Bois shifter, which has a lockout system, uh, and I think it's a great DIY project. You know, there's, I, I think he's done a fantastic job considering what he set out to do, but you can't compare them. It's like, it, I mean, you can hear the, the sound is already different, let alone the feel of it. So yes, functionally, it might be similar, but apart from that, it's worlds apart. And that's why, we have to laser cut and CNC a lot of the parts for the Bash Pro. That's good. And uh, in terms of uh, logic, uh, tr sorry, Trustmaster, I saw that on your website, you are saying that it's coming soon. What you guys gonna work with Trustmaster? Because I am a Trustmaster owner. So like you said, before the COVID, I had a Logitech. And after I got uh, offered a TVT, so the, the version, with the belts, the most uh, higher version yeah. for PlayStation, and I have everything, everything on Trustmasters until until now. So, what are you going to do with Trustmaster? So, what we're going to, what we're working on now is Series Two. And it's not a secret because uh, the original wheels were all Series One wheels, and so now we're doing Series Two. Series Two will be a wheel that will look the same for all platforms. It'll function on Thrustmaster, it'll function on Logitech, uh, it will make it reverse compatible. So in other words, it'll work on G29s, but it will also work on the DD Pro. It will work on a Thrustmaster, uh, it'll work on uh, on a Fanatec CSL. It's going to work literally everywhere. And the way we achieve this is by making the basic layout, the telemetry screen, everything that is in the wheel exactly the same. Just the insides, the electronics, since right. we are pretty specialized in that, that's different. And that's going to enable then uh, to make it run on the different uh, systems. Because to make, for example, a third-party wheel run on a DDCSL, uh, you need to make the DDCSL think that it's connected to a Fanatec wheel. You know, you can't just put on another wheel. So there's certain things you, you right. can do. This none of this is top secret, you know. It, these projects have been around on GitHub. If you look around in terms of code, how to reverse engineer certain things, that's how we reverse engineered the Logitech wheel, right? We have our own PCB in there. The quick release system that we developed has a replication of the PCB that's inside every Logitech wheel, and that allows the Logitech wheel and buttons and functions all to work even when you disconnect the original PCB, because we have our PCB in the quick release. We have that on the website, so you can it, it shows there. So that's basically what we're going to do. And for Thrustmaster, it's going to be even easier. This is because Thrustmaster already always had an openness towards mods and PC, uh, PC connections. 
So that's it's going to be relatively easy. The only problem that we have at the moment is we're still working on reverse engineering the DD Pro, the Logitech DD Pro. If you disconnect the steering wheel because it has a quick release, your direct uh, drive function is zero, nil, gone. And so you need to, okay. uh, we need to basically sniff the protocol between the wheel and the wheelbase in order for uh, us to be able to fool the wheelbase, the motor, that there is actually a wheel attached to it so that the force feedback works. That's the only thing we're struggling with at the moment. Um, then everything else is just a matter of adapting the quick release. So on Thrustmaster, there is already a quick release system, so we'll adapt ours to make that work there. Uh, for Logitech, we already developed it. For the DD Pro, we're working on it. Uh, all the others, like Fanatec and so on, is relatively easy because it's just your standard 70 mil 6 hole pattern. So you can just plonk it on, and uh, it, it'll be easy. So yeah, that's basically it. We're, we are skipping going uh, the route of taking, a let's say, T150 or TS300 Thrustmaster taking that apart, reassembling it, and then trying to emulate the buttons. Because as much as that works for the Logitech G29 and our Series 1, you know, for me, this is a three-and-a-half-year-old idea. It's, I, I am well mm -hmm. past that. I don't want to do this again. Even though it's a different platform, I don't want to do any of that. So what we're going to do is just basically use the Thrustmaster quick release, um, take the original wheel off, that would exclude, I think, the 150. I don't think the 150 has a quick release, or does it? Do you know? No, I think all of them now have the the old ones have the quick release that is a rotation, no, and that is old by a, a screw. They have a screw, yes. and now the new one, the T818, have already a quick release uh, button that you just take it and mount. But what I what I hear was they will they will make quick releases where you adapt to all the wheels so you can adapt the wheel yes. to to mount it uh to the new quick release so i don't know how, how they're doing it because there's has been very slow in the process and logitech too comparing with moza i think moza is, is putting all the eggs on the basket even fanatec has been very yeah. quiet so let's see what's going to come now the the it's going to, it's always a balance so uh, when Fanatec came out with the DD CSL, or even the DD, when they came out with their first, I think the DD1 or what it was called, the, there's, it's a very delicate and very difficult thing to do. On the one hand, they've developed an ecosystem, existing wheels, uh, existing pedals, and that ecosystem was never meant for direct drive wheels, meaning it wasn't meant for that much torque. And at the same time, the reason why you bought Fanatec to begin with is because of the Fanatec ecosystem. So you can change to the McLaren wheel, you can change to the Rally wheel, you can change to their F1 wheel. And then they come out with a direct drive motor, which with that wheel is only going to work if you put an adapter in between. You can't use it directly. So okay. what happened was, I, that was famously, there was a video by one of the old school YouTube race uh, uh, um, reviewers called Barry, Barry's Garage, everyone knows him probably, he made a video showing how you take the DD from the Fanatec and then you put on their adapter and then you use this and by the end, you know, you between the motor mount, the motor itself and the wheel, from this you grow to this with six different adapters in between and of course the whole thing just flexes like a soft sausage and then you, you know, there's, it's, it's terrible. The problem is you have this ecosystem, and I'm not now pooping all over Fanatec. It's a very difficult thing to make that decision to go, either we say, you cannot use any of our existing ecosystem on this new direct drive system. You have to buy a new this and this and this, or you go, let's compromise. We'll make it compatible with an adapter. We know it's not going to be really great, but at least we can still sell it together as part of the ecosystem. It's a very difficult choice to make. And Thrustmaster is in the same boat. Uh, they have a plastic yeah. uh, quick release system with a screw, and they have to get away from this because it, this isn't going to work for a stronger motor. It's just going to cause trouble.
can always support the channel clicking on the like button you know and subscribe to the channel subscribe to the channel is helping us the channel to engage a little bit more 99.5% of the people that see our channel are not subscribers so please guys subscribe and of course comment what you think about a not from MVH studio and what you would like them to bring to us on the future and of course if you if you listen us not see us listening us on the Spotify and Apple podcast hit the five stars ranking please and of course keep engage it there and explain what you like and what you don't like to keep us bringing more content to you and of course join us our patreon that you know we always share with games beat cancer but let's go back to mark it this is you know i know there's a lot of armchair engineers out there who will say oh it's so easy why why aren't they doing don't be wrong don't misunderstand what you see and what actually is happening behind the scenes. There's a difference. It's quite a difficult thing to produce something in the large numbers that Logitech or Thrustmaster okay. produce. Yeah. You know, we're a tiny company. We produce, you know, a thousand wheels a month. What is that? That's not even a, a drop of water on the hot stone called Logitech. You know, they, they produce millions. And in order to produce something in those quantities, Changing just a single part, doesn't matter how trivial that part is, is quite difficult. Mm -hmm. You have to sort out the supply chain. You have to do the engineering behind it. You have to retool some machines for it. Uh, processes for assembly, quality control, and then shipping. A lot of that stuff is not you know, in anyone's calculation when they go, oh, you just have to change this little bit here. That's very difficult to do. I am pretty sure they know exactly at Thrustmaster what they need to do to make it better. That's not the issue. It's more the logistics behind it, the cost involved to do those changes. And uh, while you as an end user will say, well, I only need this part. How much could that possibly cost versus the same part in plastic? As an example, that's not how the math works. This is why a lot of people don't see it. This is also why scaling up to a larger amount of output is very difficult mm -hmm. if you don't sit on millions of financing, right? For example, for us, if I could, I'd be producing Bash Pros by the thousands every month. It's not possible. It's just the outlay, the financial outlay is massive. Yeah. And people don't see that. So that's why I think they know they will fix it. It will take time. It will also take time for marketing reasons. You know, as I explained, Fanatec could have said, Here's the DD Pro. It's fantastic, but none of our previous wheels will work. You need to buy this new wheel. And if they did that, then the total, you know, the entry point would not have been $4.99, which they couldn't do anyway, as you know, they couldn't deliver for ages. It would have been $8.99 or something along those lines, because you have to pay for exactly. the wheel as well. And then you're tied to that one wheel. You don't have the ecosystem to fall back on, because not everybody wants a round wheel. I mean, I know that's how my business started. I didn't, I didn't like a round wheel. I wanted an open wheel, you know? So it's all a bit more complex than some people uh, think and see, but I, I have, you know, I've seen what's coming and I can tell you for a lot of manufacturers, this is very, um, it's a very strong push now into sim racing. And that means there's a lot of money behind it. There's a lot of people starting the hobby. And I'm pretty sure that all those who used to be in the budget segment, like Thrustmaster, Logitech, now are going to start filling that middle segment all the way up to the place of SimuCube and you know all the other crazy um, costly in entry points because there's more and more people racing. Uh, there's a Gran Turismo yeah, there, movie coming yeah, this summer. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a, it's if, a, a if big evolution on the sim racing, no? Exactly. If you told me three years ago there's going to be a Gran Turismo movie as a blockbuster, if you told me three years ago that Formula One will be a big thing in America, you know, this is the land of NASCAR, I would have said, to you, come on, man, what are you smoking? <laughs> you know? No, it is because uh, the, last the last Grand Prix that I went was uh, Silverstone in 2019 and uh, was the highest Grand Prix ever on the on UK. And was two hundred thousand uh, uh, views. 
and now he has 450 yeah. or 420,000 views. <laughs> so, so in the space of uh, four years, five years, you expand almost for the double. So it's crazy just to think on that. Massive. On that day, it was already packed. packed. And I imagine now how going to be with these uh, days is completely full. So uh, it's crazy how we don't understand the how F1 popularity raised so much just by a... Uh, a good TV show, you know, when Netflix coming on the right time because Netflix, come yeah. a little bit before the COVID, but because they was... during the COVID they was keeping the releasing, I think was what bring more formal one to what is yeah. and even sim racing. Sure. I think if if there was mean, no COVID, if there was no COVID, there's more, there's more. Yeah, there is. Uh, you know, Liberty Media is an American company that bought the rights to broadcast F1, right? And that is actually the big push, the financial push. Netflix was on top, of course, a massive hit. So those things together made it such a big thing in the US. And that's why if you go and watch an F1 race now, you know, there's one in Miami, there's one in Texas and so on. All of these American superstars are suddenly interested in it. You know, and when they walk the grid, there's you know, musicians there and movie stars. And it's like, oh, okay. That's, that's that wasn't there four or five years ago. No. You wouldn't see <laughs> no. Tom Cruise at the F1, and now it's like, yeah, of course, man. It's uh, popularity. But let's go back to the sim racing. You think um, you see that sim racing will be the future of motorsport? On your opinion? No, that's a good question. I, you know, it's hard to say. The thing is, it depends very much on how it's portrayed, how it's seen in the media um, to keep it alive and keep it working. I'm now in mm -hmm. my, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 50 soon. So to me, certain cars um, that are older are much more interesting. I enjoy that much more. Um, I live 15 minutes from Goodwood. So obviously I go to, you know, Goodwood Revival and Festival of Speed. And I enjoy seeing the older race cars. To me, the most beautiful uh, cars ever built are the older cars from the 60s, 70s. And when it comes to Formula One, I like the MP4 from McLaren more than any of the modern cars. You know? But I admire at the same time the new technologies. I see there's a, a place for them. For example, uh, electric uh, drivetrains are you know, the future for literally every car except for race cars, I think. Um, to me, there's nothing sounds nicer than uh, a 1990s uh, F1 motor zooming by, you know? And I'm talking pre-hybrid era. That is just- yeah, Or even know, or even the turbo world. era. You talk, you're talking about the 80s, yes. I think the turbo era was, is crazy. Just thinking that they have an engine just developed it's just for qualify, giving 1,200 horsepower or 1,500, like the Benetton have it. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy just it's, to think about that. Exactly. Yeah, you know, those those are the that's what makes me go, oh man, this is this is real racing. This is what I love. Now we're looking at current racing and how racing has evolved. It's still a dangerous sport. It's still, you know, cutting edge. Um, whether they use hybrids, whether they will be using electrics, but is that going to stay? Or is sim racing going to take, you know, a more important place? I think there will always be a symbiosis for a long time to come. At some point, <laughs> I agree. there's a famous quote by an Aust a fellow Austrian, Niki Lauda, when he decided to retire from Formula One the first time he decided to retire, said, you know what? I think he told it to his team chef. Um, he got out of the car in the middle of a practice session, if I remember correctly, and said, I'm tired of going around in circles. And he just walked away, you know? He said, that's it, bye-bye Formula One. He started off in the airline and then uh, came back again to uh, uh, to Formula One later again, and then never left it because obviously he then worked for Mercedes in the management and so on. So there might be a time where going around in circles uh, is not as interesting to the public anymore. But what I think will always stay is the fascination with uh, racing and competing. Competition is something that we have in our blood, and whether that will be simulated or whether that will be an actual track, hard to say. I don't know. I think there will always be a uh, a need for the real thing because 
we will always want to look back at the times when it was different. Um, there's a fascination with culture history, and that comes in racing as well. There's a reason why Silverstone as an F1 race is so big. It's because where F1 started. And this kind of culture, this kind of inbred want to be competing on a track, I mean, that is so prevalent here in the UK more than anywhere else. Uh, I think that doesn't come, that doesn't disappear when you go sim racing either. I think there is definitely that fascination is still going to be there. Even when sim racing takes over and becomes, let's say, more popular, not necessarily more widely seen or watched. Because it's one thing to be racing in a simulator. It's very different when you're actually in a car. And if you've done any track, any laps around the racetrack in whatever it was, and I've done a few, I can tell you that is a, it's a completely different feeling. No matter how good your simulation exactly. is, that is very, that's just different. And you uh, might be is, racing a go-kart, you know. Yeah, it's something that I always fascinate is when we, more with the young generation, because I'm, I'm 30, 34, so uh, it's when we, they are speaking and they go, oh, uh, but you are driving wrong, you're driving uh, the car like this, or the car go the weight balance, but they never drive an actual car. They never sit down. But I like, as a sim racer, I like to jump and drive their old cars. I don't know, it's something there nostalgic. Yes. Uh, it's, you know, if you, if you jump on a dirty rally and you drive uh, R5, the new category, or the, the, the new category from the WRC, they are fast, but they are easy to drive. If you go and you jump on yes. Group B or even on 1,600s or on, on the 80s, man, they are so fun. They are so hard to drive. You know, you need to turn in much more. You need to brake completely different. Ilto, and I love that. I'm, I'm going to say I'm a sucker for the nostalgia, for that immersion on the old times. Uh, I don't know. It's my personal <laughs> way. I think the reason you like it is also because your emphasis is not so much on the competition part. Your emphasis is on the immersion. And if you want exactly, to be immersed... Exactly. You want to have more uh, feedback, uh, making it more difficult sounds really counterproductive. As an example, direct drive motors are being promoted by how strong they are, you know, how, how big the torque is. The re real drivers, or most people I know, and that including me, have their direct drive motor set to something like seven or eight Newton meters. Even if the direct drive motor can do 15 or 20 newton meters, which is enough to break your thumbs if, if you're unlucky, um, most people don't do that. They put it down lower. Why? Because you don't really want to be working hard when you're in a race if you're trying to be competitive. However, if you want realism, if it isn't about winning a race, if you're not there to you know, rank high and then go into whatever uh, further competition on iRacing, you dial all this down. And this exactly. is an example of something else I did in my previous life is I, I was playing a lot of Quake, um, first-person shooter for most people don't know what that is. And when Quake came oh, out, I remember because I come from that, that time. <laughs> well, there you go. Competitive Quake players, <laughs> they would remove every detail in the graphics. You'd be just looking at blocks all the skins were gone. It was just straight up geometry you're working with in order to be faster, more efficient, precise on the railgun, in order to not get distracted by anything. So you remove all the realism, all the good looking stuff to become extremely good at the game. But that doesn't make the game fun for most of the people who want the realism, the graphics. I'm a VR racer. I want to see the car and I want to feel the car, which is why. The Bash Pro is such a wonderful device. It makes me feel the car and just immerse me even more. And that's why we want an open wheel, not a round wheel when you're racing in an F1 car. It feels Perfect. right. But that doesn't necessarily you know, translate into performance. So I think the nostalgia is very much tied to that. As, and to, to most people, I think it's more into that direction, the realism, the immersion, 
and less into the, I'm going to be, you know, one of the top 10 sim racers in the world. Because let's face it, you've got to, there's not many who are that good. <laughs> and I think the young generation going to, going to adapt faster. You know, I think young generation, yeah. they jump on a sim and they uh, adapt very fast because they can process more that feelings in regardless of us, because we already drive cars. Uh, we, for example, if I jump now on playing Gran Turismo 1, I'm going to be very bad because I need to adapt myself again. Always to drive yes. the cars on that, on that mode because it was driving completely different. So everything is a different process. And I think the new generation are much, much faster to adapt to anything than us. You know, it's, it's an evolution. Like we talk about it's an evolution. So they go to jump on the sim yes. and I, I see kids with 10 years, 10 years old making times faster already than yeah. Uh, yeah. Se semi-professionals and even some professionals because they adapt, they interpret, oh, yeah, yeah. they interpret everything so so quickly then it has that take a little bit yes. more time is what it is you know <laughs> we cannot true. do nothing and to finish now the not something yeah. you want to be like happy with you know realism i'm not in in for the competition a little bit of fun with your friends exactly. and then okay maybe second or third or tenth doesn't matter yeah uh, if I share the same thing. So to finish the podcast, I always make some qu uh, quickly fire questions. It's going to be easy ones. And uh, let's start it. Uh, uh, favorite hardware? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> Taking out the okay, MVH excluding... uh, studio ones. <laughs> yes. Excluding our own products, I would say favorite piece of hardware in sim racing, that is, yeah? Yeah. Uh, the SFX100 uh, motion rig uh, that was developed by uh, a, a couple of Germans, which uh, I built early on, and I think it is over-engineered beyond, beyond any, any reason, and it's fantastic. So, yeah. Right. If you have to choose a favorite uh, hardware, favorite game, which one would be? Uh, Gran Turismo. Gran Turismo? Okay. And if you have to choose a favorite car, which car is your uh, sim, sim racing car to go? Porsche GT3. <laughs> any, any, any type of ear, any type of uh, particularly develop any model or just the global? GT3, pretty much every version, variant. Yeah, okay, any you, version. You can tune it to whatever you want. Yeah, that's definitely okay. my car, yeah. And if you have to choose a real car to try on your real life, which one you would prefer? I've tried a few. <laughs> it's, <laughs> if you as I said, I live, you, can, you can try all crazy stuff. I think the one thing I'd like to try um, is... Probably, I haven't had the opportunity yet, but I would really like to try a Cobra AC um, fully properly tuned, as in not limited, because I, I was able to try one, and it was it was uh, limited to a certain power. I want that wild, uncontrollable um, button of that AC doing this when you hit the throttle when you come out of a turn. I think that would be one I'd like to try and I haven't tried yet. Yeah, that would be on my list. Interesting. But the, what, the version from the 60s or... That... Oh, <laughs> exactly. Yes, from but the, the version of the 60s? Okay, the version from the 60s, okay. Because a lot of the time now is so, is a lot of replicas and they not simulate the same uh, the same way, I think. I yes, agree with you, I, I think the job for the 60s is... The ones and, uh, in, in Cape Town, they, uh, there's a couple of companies that do replica rental, and uh, they look fantastic. Okay. But it's it's not, yeah. not yeah. the same. Okay. I think you can Once put again... a list of GT40. That would also be a nice one. Yeah. Maybe they're close. Oh, anyway, have, have the, the same uh, have the same uh, engineer behind it. No, because we even if he's a four was a Shelby okay. that uh, was there yeah. developed everything so yeah uh, I was I would say the GT4 is one of probably the most iconic cars that uh, I, <laughs> I I never drive one but I saw and uh, the sound everything around it is 
is yeah. a beast. Just thinking yeah. they they create that thing Maybe just to beat Ferrari, just for uh, just for uh, an ego. It's quite funny as as a, as a car for Absolutely. ego. Come and it's such iconic. It's it's a, it's a it's real good story. Thanks for everything, Mark. For my part, is uh, a goodbye. I I hope we can talk soon. I hope we can do a lot of things together. And uh, I I live near, so anything UK guys needed for my part, just give a shout. I'm going to be always available. You know, you're welcome to come visit anytime. We we've only just managed. We're still. I don't know if you can hear the hammering and drilling in yeah. the background, but we're still expanding the place. Um, but yeah, you're more than welcome to come by and see what, how how it's going on. You won't see my other half of engineers in Budapest unless you want to travel down there. But uh, we're close, so anytime. And any plans for going to the expo this year for the Sim Racing Expo in Germany? I don't. I can't. I, do, I really don't have the time. I'm. Look, I didn't shave in days. That's because I work so much. Uh, it's. It's really. Don't worry. Don't I, worry. I'd love to. I'll be watching all the YouTubers because they're, they're very good. They give you a good idea what's going on. I would love to try the Simicube uh, pedal like everyone else. Um, but apart from that, no, I just I don't have the time. Not this year. Next year. I'm pretty sure next year I'll, next be, year. I'll be able to. And I will go. We, we have considered possibly being also on those expos with our products. But, you know, I'm okay. not saying anything yet. All right. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you, Hugo. It's been a pleasure. I just close. Next week, we're going to go back to the normal program. As you know, talking about sim racing news and what is happening on the world of sim racing. The expo is coming. So a lot of things to talk. And of course, WRC 23 already released the full list of cars. So keep an eye because we're going to talk about the cars and a little bit more. Guys, see you next episode.